podcast this week. Salma Hayek drops by to tell us a tale of tale of tales. Plus, there's usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that knows you can't spell jacked without JK. Am I right, JK Simmons? Am I? I think I am. I think I'm right. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning, both of whom, in a weird coincidence, are just as ripped and pumped as J.K. Simmons. Uh, did you see that picture, J.K. Simmons, Helen? Yes. What does it tell us about Zack Snyder's Justice League that even Commissioner Gordon has to be completely yeah. ripped? What, what? What? I don't understand. Yeah. I'm really confused. It's 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 very, very strange. John, did you see that picture? John Nugent is here. Helen O'Hara is here. I'm, I'm not going to do the usual intros because uh, it's too late for that now. But uh, <laughs> uh, did you see the picture of J.K. Simmons in the, in the yeah. gym? Yeah. Bro Commissioner Gordon, isn't it? It's yeah, like com- Commissioner Brogan. <laughs> no, guys, it's not working. He's put the Jim in Jim Gordon. He's misspelled it. That's you know what, what? He's made. He's, he's, maybe, <laughs> that's he, where he's got it wrong. Maybe this is what it is, right? We, we all know that um, Zack Snyder, since 300, has been working with the guys from Jim Jones. We, we Paul, know that. Paul Twight, I think his name is. I have a tattoo to my body. Uh, of course you do. And, um, and these oh, guys basically... <laughs> <laughs> you have three. That's amazing. We have six. Don't we all men have six abs? That's what I've learned <laughs> of from course. looking at covers of Men's Health. <laughs> I don't know anything about fitness, as you know, um, as you can probably tell. I'm sure some doctor has diagnosed my voice and going, oh, yeah, that's a wee- he's a bit wheezy. He needs to work <laughs> out. It's lupus. I'm he's- a bit wheezy. I apologize. You're a bit wheezy this week. But, yeah. um, but no, but he's been working with these guys from Jim Jones since 300. I was in the th- the gym they were working in in 300 and it scarred me for life um, because they were having to do like insane things like they would have those big JCB tyres and they, were, they weren't working at the time that wasn't what scarred me Chris I was going to um, say because it must have been yeah. terrible for you being surrounded by topless Jerry Butler Michael Fassbender know, who, was, who else was in that film? Oh like all of them yeah, yeah. Uh, it, was, it was a very difficult time for me but I, I soldiered through <laughs> um, they were doing like press ups which quite frankly are difficult enough but right. their their toes were on a box about a foot off the floor mm-hmm. and their hands were in hanging rings so they were doing press ups with their hands in rings they weren't on the floor they were like I, I just can't even imagine how you do that anyway my point is that these guys train hardcore and maybe if you have the chance to be on a film set with all of these trainers there maybe you just say you know what I'm going to do this. This is the time in my life where I'm going to get super fit. And maybe that's what J.K. Simmons has done. It's not like J.K. Simmons being ripped somewhat for a man of his age is a new thing. Look at him yeah. in, in Whiplash. The yeah. man, has, yeah, he's, got, he's, got, he's got some of the seps. I'm not sure if it's by or try. Uh, <laughs> or the, is quadricep a thing? I don't know. Uh, quadcep, that's a new thing. Uh, but he's, he's wearing those tight black t-shirts and accentuating his muscles as yeah. we all know all music teachers <laughs> but I think you know uh, his character in Whiplash sort of it made sense that he was this massive alpha male sort of type you yeah. know I don't I don't think Commissioner Gordon needs to be an alpha male does he does he it kind of is in some of the comics if you think about it like he's quite if you think about some of the animated films like he's as broad shouldered and, and drawn almost as big as Batman in some cases oh yeah um, but- it's been the, it's been the live action ones that have kind of diminished him slightly okay I, 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 someone pointed out to me yesterday on Twitter when I was going a bit nuts about this. Uh, I got up at six in the morning, was confronted by him. The first thing I, literally the first thing I saw was J.K. Simmons, <laughs> JK bulging, Simmons muscles. bulging biceps, looking like, you know, Michael Stipe had really taken up serious exercise after leaving REM. It was kind of bizarre because he has this great big bushy beard, crusty yes. jugglers. He's got, he's got it all going on. And I, I, I was just, I was just intrigued by what that means and someone pointed out to me uh, that Gordon is actually Batman at the moment in the comics so it would make sense that Gordon is ripped even though he's you guess in his 50s and in this movie you know he'll be in his late 50s early 60s mm. Hold on, sorry but Gordon is Batman Gordon is Batman in the comics right now I'm, I don't read current Batman I, I'm not up on what's happening in in, in that but uh, so who's Bruce Wayne then Bruce is Wayne he, is Bruce Wayne Bruce Wayne's commissioner Bruce, <laughs> Bruce Wayne is commissioner Wayne <laughs> Gordon is Batman <laughs> and that's what the penguin is a joker it's all it's all upside down it's all right. bizarre okay um but yeah, that, that actually made me intrigued to kind of mm. read and check it out, what, what's going on. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued to see what happens. But yeah, you're right. It's like, not everyone... Not everybody needs to be ripped. In this movie, yeah. needs to be ripped. Yeah. I mean, I'm not expecting Commissioner Gordon to be arm wrestling Batman, although I'm sure that's in the script. Now that you've said it, I kind of want to see it. Yeah. I'd like to see a, a Predator 
handshake, you know, mm. with bicep close up between Batman and Gordon. Gordon. Well, it just so happens, so uh, bicep. Yesterday on, on Twitter, I was sent a page of the Justice League script. Uh, weird enough, that that depicted that very encounter, <laughs> uh, just out of the blue wow. in my inbox. Was a, a page purporting to be from that script, uh, and uh, it, I, I deleted the tweet. But who knows? Maybe I'll I'll put the tweet back up again. You can you can read the exclusive excerpt from what I, I'm reliably informed may be the Justice League screenplay uh, and the first meeting of Commissioner Gordon and Bruce Wayne. It's it's very exciting. Uh, but yeah, this is can be the first meeting, can it? Because Batman's uh, well, meant to have been in, operating for in the years. script. It is. I mean, it's clear they're old friends. Oh, okay. a mutual respect. Oh, yeah, right. The, the first meeting in this in, in, the, in the movie. Yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it's right. clear there's a there's a shared history there. It's 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 quite moving actually oh. in, in many ways. So uh, who knows? Maybe I'll put that back up on Twitter. All right. Yeah. Who knows? Um, but maybe this is why he passed on J. Jonah Jameson. I, I don't know if he passed on J. Jonah Jameson, but this may be why he doesn't want to play the character again because he wants to get ripped and pumped, and you can't imagine J. 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 Can you? I can. Yeah. He's already got that very, you know, square, blocky, muscular hairdo. I don't mm. know. My experience yes, of hair can be muscular. is does not include lots of biceps and abs, to be honest. Apart from us, obviously. Apart from <laughs> present company excluded, of course. All right. Um, I don't know what's happening anymore. Um, that's, <laughs> well, possibly, that's possibly the longest digression in the history of the Empire podcast. Uh, okay. So I'm not going to do the introductions. I had one written about you going to the gym, Helen, and yeah. something to do with the Padalackle Man. The Padalackle The Padalackle Man, man from you're, Supernatural. You're gonna, that's two different people. You're it's, just, one it's, day you're going to learn this. It's one entity smushed together. There's no sm- smushing. There's there's smushing. There's no smushing. There's lots of smushing. And Gosh. certainly in the, uh, in the, in the slash fiction I've, I've read. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, another digression. Did anyone see that amazing image from last week's Wizard World of Chris Evans and Sebastian Stan? Oh, yes, um, I did see that. Where people could pay money to have their picture taken with Chris Evans and Sebastian Stan and I think Tom Hiddleston was there as well and uh, there's this amazing picture of uh, Sebastian Stan who plays Bucky Chris Evans who plays um, Stefan Stefan Rogers (laughs) and uh, they're just two people who are dressed as Cap and Bucky and and they're kissing (laughs) and Sebastian Stan is this amazing what the hell is happening expression on his face and Chris Evans is grinning like he's just loving it and he's actually holding the arm of the guy who's Bucky helping him almost to lean into the kiss it's it's quite glorious if you haven't seen it go and check it out I'm literally googling it have right you not now. seen it I have not seen it that what what are you doing with your life I, Helen I, I, I'm beginning to question that my, myself okay uh, sidebar I went to see Richard Third starring Ray Fiennes last night at the Almeida <laughs> the um, sidebar to the sidebar I, <laughs> we haven't actually started the podcast yet we'll get there one day uh, anyway if you can get to the Almeida they, they were certainly still selling returns last night because that's how I got it uh, they're quite cheap because it's still in previews. You should absolutely see Ray Fiennes play Richard III. It's amazing. It's, it's Ralph Fiennes. Oh, thank you. Um, I've seen Martin Freeman do it. I've seen Kevin Spacey do it. I thought he was better than wow. either. High yeah. praise. Uh, I have another the... sidebar. Oh, yeah. Let's just sidebar for the rest of the hour then. Let's do it. I was in um, Barcelona last week. Barcelona! On Primavera Sound Festival. Ooh. And I saw John Carpenter live. No. Yeah. And it was bloody amazing. I'm insanely jealous. It was bloody amazing. Honestly, if you... I, I don't know if the tickets for the London dates are I, on listen, sale, but <laughs> they're boring still. Yeah, I got my tickets really, really quickly. John Mother F and Carpenter, what did he play? What did he do? Uh, he started off with Escape from New York. Oh, my And God. immediately, like, it was fists in the air, like, come on! You know, it was, <laughs> uh, it was one of the most exciting things I've ever seen in my life. I was literally... The testosterone was just... There was a cloud of testosterone floating in the air. Wow. Pure excitement. Uh, and then he did The Fog, he did Halloween, of course. He did, um, I think he played something from Prince of Darkness. Oh, There's awesome. a few songs from um, his Lost Themes albums, which yep. are really good really as well. Really good, yeah. Really, really strong. I don't know, it was just, I, I've not ever been to a gig which felt so sort of pure, unironic 80s power rock, you know. <laughs> it was really, it was really, really exciting. So, yeah, if, if you don't have tickets, and if there are tickets, it's probably sold out at this point. Yeah, I think he's playing Manchester on the 29th, yeah. and he's playing London on the 31st at the Troxy. Um, I'm pretty sure that one's sold out. But he is doing a world tour at the moment. He's doing a world tour, so uh, just- he's... He's do, all, he's do all what you can. Go, go and see it. It's so good. And he's so cool. I mean, he's just wearing a leather jacket. He's chewing gum the entire time. And like, is, is there banter? 
There's, it, there's, there's, well, John Carpenter's banter. What's it like? It's, it's scripted banter, really. It's it's very carefully scripted. It's like, as long as I can remember, I've been a fan of horror, and he, he puts <laughs> like a he puts like a sort of echoey effect on the word horror. 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 But yeah, I mean, he's so cool, man. He's so cool. When when he starts to play, they live. He just puts his sunglasses on, and all the the band put their sunglasses on. That's amazing. It's it's honestly incredible. It was one of the highlights of of my festival I would say oh my god I, I yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I know even though I'm going to see him later in the year I'm so insanely jealous that is yeah. extraordinary I also saw um, Radiohead ooh I was surprised to see you were singing <laughs> as the lead singer Chris was I on was I on stage how was Tom York's banter <laughs> Tom York's banter was uh, I don't think Tom knows the word banter I heard an amazing Radiohead story this week I know we're just all, just in this is just Diversion City now it's just like a just like a knitting club uh, <laughs> just sort of swapping stories we'll get to okay, the question this, this is a little bit of a preview of an upcoming issue of Empire but I talked to Baz Luhrmann this week Baz Luhrmann yes uh, who's a delight and he delight. told me that he got he was a big fan of Radiohead and he wanted them to write the end credit song for Romeo and Juliet which mm. they did um, and it was a very last minute thing because they were on tour at the time he kept kind of talking to them and they kept saying yeah we're on it we're on it just haven't quite got there yet so he literally like finished mixing the film put in the end credits without this song when the tape finally arrived and they said you know here it is exit song for movie there you go apparently he learned this years later apparently at that time Tom York and Johnny Greenwood were having a really difficult time weren't getting along um, were just feeling really under pressure and were on the verge of breaking up and apparently it was writing that song that got them over those issues kept them together and got them to write OK Computer and OK Computer is one of the greatest albums of all time, as we all know. And it's yeah. all down to Basil Luhrmann. And the amazing story about Radiohead is... Oh, that was that was it. <laughs> Chris! No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. That's a very good story. Uh, uh, exit music for a film, by the way. If not a movie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah that makes more sense. Uh, but, wow, that is awesome. I didn't... Because I, I, I... That's the first time I heard that song. I think yeah. the first time almost everyone heard that song. I didn't know it was specifically written for that. I thought it was something that they'd written for OK Computer. And that they just went, there you go, Baz, you can have that. Well, That's according amazing. to Baz, anyway, it's straight. No, 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 that so. makes that makes sense. The time frame makes it does. sense, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, and the title of the song "Exit Music for a Film" suggests that it might have been written for. Yeah, this, yeah. That they didn't the know. Yeah, what the title should be, uh, and in that sort of banterific way that Tom York has. Oh, banter! <laughs> Short little lads, oh. I've come up with another belter. Um, Bloody so banter! There we go. And weirdly enough, this week's question. Uh, here we are four hours into the podcast <laughs> and we're tackling this week's question uh, is from Martin I don't have your surname sir I'm so sorry uh, if I email and it's about bands it's about movie bands uh, and Martin's email goes last night I accidentally watched a double bill of Sing Street followed by Dope okay Martin you've buried the lead <laughs> how do you accidentally watch a double bill um, okay he, he loved both uh, Correct, yes. But he was torn between which band to Spotify first, or Apple Music, and other streaming services are available. Uh, Sing Street or A Wero. So, in the Eurovision slash Battle of the Bands, where all the participants, <laughs> and this, the, the, he gets you here, there's a, there's a bit of a, 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 a qualifier here, yep. which is interesting. Where all the participants are bands that exist only in film, and, this is the kicker, must feature on the soundtrack as well. Ooh. Who wins for you? Martin has plumped for the Soggy Bottom Boys or Stillwater or Sex bob Om. Just, you know, <laughs> hedging his bets there. All solid, solid choices mm. and all ones that would have appeared on my list. Damn you, Martin. Mm. Um, okay, so the Blues Brothers don't count because they performed in the real world before the film? Correct. Exist only in film. So you can... Yeah, they, they, Stillwater did, didn't Stillwater do a couple of real gigs? I don't know whether they did. And even if, if they... I'm I'm okay with promotional appearances. Okay. But bands that actually existed, so Spinal Tap, Spinal Tap, don't yeah. count Damn. in this. Um, it's harsh, dude. Yeah, it is harsh. But you know that's the world we live in. Oh, you're harsh realities. We got referendums and old men pumping iron. Helen, this is, <laughs> this is what's happening. This is okay. Reality. Deal with um, it. I would like to to mention two worthy contenders that okay. I think would would certainly, if this were the Eurovision of movie bands, would certainly place highly. And those two worthy contenders both come from the same film, and oh. they are Du Jour <laughs> and Josie and the Pussycats. Well, that's it. Okay, <laughs> mic drop. You've won. That's it. All done. All good. 
Everyone's happy. I mean, if you haven't listened to Dujour's Backdoor Lover, <laughs> then I, I highly recommend that you get on that right now. And by on that, I just mean that you should listen to it and not necessarily anything else. <laughs> it is pretty awesome. Good choice. A good choice. But who are we? you got to pick one. Battle of the Bands. Oh. I think we, um, we're, we're probably um, exposed to more of Josie and the Pussycats' yes, music in that film. I think we are, yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, they're, they're not quite as ridiculous <laughs> their songs, but uh, but no. they are probably significantly better. Mm. Yeah, so Josie. I would, I would like to bring it back to Radiohead, if I may. Uh, not specifically Radiohead, but Johnny Greenwood and uh, Phil Selway, who were in Weird Sisters, which is the band in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, oh. fronted by... Uh, Pulp's Jarvis Cocker so it's a sort of little British supergroup. Um, I'm pretty sure that only exists in that film I don't think they ever performed <laughs> I don't think they did I think, <laughs> I, don't, I think we would know yeah but they're pretty good right yeah. they are they have some some game yes. yeah mm-hmm. yeah I'm going to mention School of Rock yes yeah cause... well they did perform in real life they did they, they promotionally little... right I Yes, they did like a reunion gig a few years back. Um, I think that counts as promotion. Yeah. These, these, this criteria is quite strict. Did, did, did they go on tour? No. Ergo, I win. <laughs> but they're, well, they're, you can't argue with that. They're awesome. That's a band that was formed in the movies. Uh, do you know that Andrew Lloyd Webber has written a School of Rock musical? Has it opened yet in the States? I believe it's on stage now in the States, yeah. And look what I've done, Helen. I have mentioned a Broadway musical which allows you to mention... Hamilton! Oh, there we go. There we go. The There's new Fenton for the week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. There's Hamilton News as well. Uh, we'll what? get on to it. Are we going to get on to it yeah, later yeah. on? I'm sure we will. Is there genuinely Hamilton News? There's genuinely Hamilton News. Are you just making this stuff up so you can mention Hamilton? No, no. Uh, the lady who plays Eliza, Philippa Sue. Okay. Spoiler. I know that this pod has been largely anarchic this week, but <laughs> let's try and have some sense it's of order. So disciplined. I know. Uh, yeah, let's let's movie news in the movie news section. All right, all right. It's, it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and movie news. <laughs> it's not a thing. Uh, Marvin Berry and the Starlighters. Yes, I'm going to mention them as well. Of course, correct. Um, because technically speaking, that that one of the songs does appear on the uh, on the soundtrack. I can never remember the, the name of the guy who stands in for Michael J. Fox on vocals on that song. But I've always thought this is one of the flaws about this is maybe Back to the Future's only flaw. I don't believe that Marty McFly would have that singing voice. I think that's harsh. Why why'd um, you say that? It's a little bit too powerful for Marty McFly. I think that Marty McFly he's, he's squeakier. <laughs> I'm just, I don't think he's a screamer. Yeah. I think he's more of a Neil Finn. Okay. All uh, right. Than a than a Sackdale Rock. Uh, for some reason, you've just reminded me of Breathless Mahoney. Of course, I have. In Dick Tracy, I, as I so often do. I'm not sure she counts as a band, but <laughs> if anyone can count as a band, it's Madonna. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, that's my that's my favorite Madonna music ever. Obviously, written by Sondheim, which helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, she does that fantastic duet with Mandy Patinkin, and. Uh, it's great. So yeah, I, I might, might add her into the mix. What about the Cantina band in Star Wars? Mm-hmm. Yep. They only know one song, <laughs> but they know it really they, well. They know it back to front. Yeah, there's, there's a couple of songs in the Cantina, or even if we wanted to bring it back to Hamilton again in the yes, Force Awakens, let's do that. the the Cantina band, which has the music written by Lin Manuel Miranda. Oh, here we there go. You go. <laughs> Did you all see the carpool karaoke this week? No, I no. saw someone watching the carpool karaoke. Right, yes. Uh, so it's carpool karaoke, James Corden's carpool karaoke with... Uh, yeah, it's Lin-Manuel Miranda, it's Audra McDonald, it's um, Jesse... Is it Jesse Martin oh, from Modern Family? Oh, yeah. No, Jesse uh, Tyler Ferguson. Jesse Tyler Ferguson from Modern Family and... Oh, I did not know could sing. Yeah, really well, as it turns out. And uh, uh, 30 Rock... Jen Jen... Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Um, and they do a very, very good ver- version of One More Day in Les Mis. Oh, interesting. Among other things. Uh, well, of course, you know, James Corden's got a good set of pipes as he well. Does, yes. uh, I didn't know this, that Rebel Wilson's coming over here to join um, Guys and Dolls. Guys and Dolls. Yeah. Which is really interesting as well. So, yeah, it's all happening on the musical theatre front. <laughs> <laughs> the Empire Podcast, musical theatre. Uh, discussion in. with occasional film talk as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'd say the Cantina Band. Very good. And uh, what's Max Rebo's band called in Return of the Jedi? Max Rebo, who's the coolest. He's not a front man, but we all know he's the power behind the throne of that band. And he's just an awesome dude. He's the Brian Wilson, if you will, of Star Wars. And I can just picture his his wonderful brain being too 
big, almost in a way. His, the, the melodies that are in Max Rebo's brain are too fast, too beautiful to be contained in one vessel. Um, and I think I'd love to see a Star Wars film that that kind of like a spin-off that just focuses on his sad breakdown. Oh, jeez. <laughs> but there's tons. I mean, yeah. this, is, this is not something where we could, we could spend all day talking about this. But we spent all day talking about J.K. Simmons' arms, so we're going to move on. If you want to have your question read out on the pod, you can email us. Yeah. Podcast at EmpireOnline.com. You can tweet us. We're at Empire Magazine on Twitter. Uh, the hashtag is Empire Podcast. And you can Facebook us as well. Or you can carry a pigeon us. No one's ever tried that. No one has, no, no but would we it. notice necessarily? We don't have a pigeon coop, or at least we don't go up there very often if we do. Send the raven. Yep. That would be awesome. But again, I wonder how they would get through the window. Hang on but the windows in this mm. office don't open. Don't open, yeah, because yeah, we would all throw ourselves out. All right, don't, don't do that. <laughs> okay, movie news. Um, hey, Helen. Hi. I believe there's some Hamilton news. <laughs> there is. Hurrah. Once again, it links to Moana, which, as we all know, combines my favourite things in life, Lin-Manuel Miranda and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Uh, and it, and now also, Philippa Sue has joined the voice, voice cast as well. Now, she plays Eliza Hamilton, or Eliza Sh- uh, Schuyler, one of the Schuyler sisters, uh, in the musical. And uh, she is now on board to play one of the villagers in Moana's home of Motunui. Motunui. Um... So we are due to see, I believe, the first kind of proper teaser trailer of that in about the next week. I think it's coming this weekend, Sunday, isn't it? I think. Sunday, yeah. uh, which is very exciting. Uh, we saw a tiny little bit of it at the Disney presentation last year. Some tiny little hints, which just make it look really fabulous. And of course, it comes from Ron Clements and John Musker, who did Little Mermaid, Aladdin, uh, Princess and the Frog, who are wonderful. Um, it's had script work from, among others, uh, Zootopia's Jared Bush. And what we do in the shadows, Taika Waititi. So this is a bit of a dream team, if mm. we're perfectly honest about it. And uh, and Philippa Sue certainly adds to that because she has a fantastic voice. So uh, so yay, yay Hamilton. <laughs> no, yay Moana. Yay Moana, and <laughs> yay Hamilton. Or indeed, as as the inside joke goes, yay Hamlet. Okay. How much did you pay for your tickets? Uh, I just, I mean, you know, what, what, what is money between friends, Chris? What is, what are numbers? What are enormous, enormous How numbers? Much? I don't think we need to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I'm was still, it, I'm still living on noodles. Okay. Was so. it? Did you get one ticket or two tickets? I got one ticket. You got one ticket. I was in New York to talk to Helen Mirren, and uh, I, got, I got one ticket from Helen Mirren. From not from Helmer, although I had encouragement from Helmer to go, she she highly recommended it. Okay, hmm, I'm going to guess. Okay, you guess. You paid six hundred dollars. I paid less than that, but that was the cheapest ticket on Ticketmaster at the time. Wow! But I went to StubHub and got lucky. StubHub. Okay. Well, there we go. Bloody hell! It's all happening. It is it's all kicking off. Um, there are there is some other news. Yes, as well. there's quite a bit. Um, Quite quite a lot of stuff happened. Mm. Did anything happen in the usual sense? Uh, once the podcast goes to uh, goes live, I guess I guess something did happen last week. So the Flash got a new director. It is, uh, and we were talking about Dope a little bit earlier on, mm-hmm. and it's Rick Famuyiwa uh, who is the director of Dope, and he is going to direct Flash. Excellent. I think um, that's rather promising. Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, I'd say more promising than Seth Graham Smith. I uh, would too. To whom I, I, I not a big fan of his uh, fingers crossed and uh, one of the many scars guards sallied <laughs> forth from Stellan over the years um, I believe that's how it works uh, <laughs> not, not sure I, I believe that's how it works okay. uh, so it Stephen King's it despite the fact that Carrie Fukunaga and Will Poulter left the project last year and seemed to be dead or in turnaround uh, is still happening it's still going on uh, it is now two parts. It's directed by the Argentinian filmmaker Andy Muschietti, who directed Mama. Yep, great, um, great scary movie. Very good scary movie indeed. Protege of Guillermo del Toro, and it is cast its protagonists. I'm not quite sure who, uh, which actress playing which character yet, but uh, Jaden Lieberherr, Finn Wolfhard. These names are becoming amazing, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> they really are. Finn Wolfhard. Finn Wolfhard. Jack Dylan Grazer. Wyatt Olef. This is amazing. Chosen Jacobs. Chosen. As in chosen. As in C H O S E N, in case my Northern Irish accents. Yeah, it did sound like a J, but okay. Uh, And Jeremy Ray Taylor. 
he's got a slightly mundane name Jeremy you know, who, what's your but name Ray I, in the middle though. I know but that that mm. kind of spices up a bit but what's your name Jeremy Taylor mm. what's your name Finn Wolfhard <laughs> <laughs> there haven't been many action heroes called Jeremy have there <laughs> well Jeremy Renner well, yeah, but he's that's just, you know like act, like character names. Yeah, know. this is true. Yeah, Clint, Jeremy Clint, McLean, yeah. Jeremy Skywalker. It doesn't quite <laughs> work. And this is with the greatest of respect. I know at least one Jeremy who listens to this podcast. Wow. Um, nothing but love. Hey, nothing Jeremy. But love. Uh, and I don't know any Finns or indeed Wolfhards that listen to the podcast. So we need to get on that. We, we need really to do. Up our Wolfhard. If you are a Finn so or a Wolfhard <laughs> listening to the podcast, please do get in touch. <laughs> And let us know that you're out there. Wolfhard is a name that has so many possibilities, but we should move on because the real, on. the real story is a Bill Skarsgård, uh, who is the son of Stellan. Yes, brother of Alexander. Stellan, brother of Alexander uh, and Jeremy Skarsgård, of course. Uh, <laughs> Bill Skarsgård is going to play Pennywise the Clown. He kind of has the face for it, which I, uh, may sound like a diss, but I don't mean it as a diss. I just mean you need you need like good cheekbones, sort of like you know remarkable facial structure, and I, I feel like he has that. So they've got something to work with there when they put the scary clown makeup on. Yeah, absolutely. So it's uh, it's all very exciting. And again, mm. like Will Poulter, he's a very young actor. He's twenty five uh, to play a character Pennywise that is millennia old. Mm. So this is uh, a very interesting take. I wonder how different this is going to be from Fukunaga's take. Um, and by the way, I should mention, if you don't know what it is, it is a tale of five young children uh, who grew up in Derry, Maine, um, and they encounter to this evil, scary thing called Pennywise. Uh, is it a spoiler to say they, they think they fight wished it? Yeah, they live to fight another day, but then have then to fight another day. Years later, when they've all grown up, the evil comes back into their lives yeah. and they have to form together once again so the, the the kids including Finn Wolfhard these are the these are the kids so the adults um, haven't yet been cast as mm. far as I'm aware so I'm excited about this I love it I, I, yeah. I, I love it I love it what do you love Chris? I, I love I, I love it I love Stephen King's it yeah but what what, what do you love I, I love it by Stephen King no it's not working <laughs> not working alright tried um, there it goes that's very exciting so that happened last Friday and yeah. also last Friday yeah came the news that Transformers The Last Knight has cast a knight Sir Anthony Hopkins I mean g- gosh uh, I, I feel like you know when I think about those films what I, what I really think about are respected thespians um Building conservatories with <laughs> building big lots of cash. <laughs> it has a grand tradition, doesn't it, of the, it the does, whole franchise yeah. of whether it's John Turturro or John Voight or Francis McDormand or Stanley Tucci, who was probably the best thing about the last one. Absolutely. Uh, or Kelsey, Kelsey Grammer. Grammer, who was obviously last week's guest. Slum, sl- uh, not slummy. No, it was a, uh, Lending their considerable talent yes. to... Enhancing, enhancing a movie that might otherwise... Have seemed less weighty. yes. And of course now it seems enormously weighty. Because Anthony Hopkins isn't it? That's right. Do you think it's called The Last Night because uh, this will sully the name of knighthood so much that no one will ever want to be a knight again? <laughs> Maybe it's some kind of riff on the classic About Last Night um, film in the 80s. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Or maybe Richard Gere will appear in a, a sort of reprise of his <laughs> King Arthur I- I don't drama. No, I no, don't you don't. Think, you don't no. think that's going to happen. I don't think that should happen. Um, hey, before you went off on that story, I had a really nice segue was into it, another story. Was it Hamilton? No, it wasn't. It was okay. Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo del Toro. You mentioned Guillermo del Toro, obviously, as uh, having been involved in Mama. He was also involved in a little film called Pacific Rim. Yes, yes, mm. and Pacific Rim is getting a sequel because it did very well overseas, if not in the US. And that sequel uh, is not being directed by. Guillermo again it's being directed by Stephen S. Denight oh which kind of brings it back to the night the last denight the, the last, last denight uh, but it now also has a star and that star is John Boyega who will be playing the son of Stacker Pentacles yes amazing and also will be apparently involved as a producer which is extremely exciting so um, so yeah so this is this is really good we don't know very much about uh, about you know what's involved in the story yet but uh, Del Toro said I'm very proud and happy to welcome John into a fantastic sandbox the Pacific Rim universe will be reinforced with him as a leading man as it continues to be a multicultural multi-layered world Uh, the world saving the world was our goal and I couldn't think of a better man for the job so 
does this mean are we going to f- skip ahead in time or who knows is it going to take place soon after Pacific Rim is Charlie Hunnam no, no, no longer going to play a part who knows who knows but it's uh, but it's exciting casting because we think he's great so right. yeah that's it that's pretty awesome and he'll be able to use his own London accent to yes. cancel the apocalypse <laughs> uh, what could Stacker Pentecost's kid be called I liked uh, James White's article in the news story on the Empire website said maybe cashier Pentecost stick with the um, the Su- supermarket, supermarket theme, theme. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay yep Wolfhard uh, Wolfhard Pentecost Jeremy Wolf Pentecost Hart. Jeremy Pentecost <laughs> <laughs> yes winner done yeah. sold All right. Jeremy Pentecost very very excited about that oh and someone someone um, reminded Guillermo I don't know whether we saw it this week of a tweet that he uh, posted last year because he's very good on Twitter if you don't follow mm. him he's very very good um, and uh, which was uh, basically had, he had, he just had lunch with Maisie Williams and he said what an amazing inspirational young woman Maisie Williams is if Pacific Rim 2 ever happens that girl is getting a Jaeger <laughs> so fingers uh, crossed fingers crossed <laughs> you know it's all to do with scheduling you never know um, uh, it's not all about things blowing up on the Empire podcast uh, we're about weighty arty movies too and very glad to see that Daniel Day-Lewis mm. uh, and Paul T- Tom- Thomas Anderson Paul Thomas basically the one who didn't direct Defend Horizon <laughs> you sure? that one yeah uh, the lesser the better yeah. one the Paul Anderson who wasn't in the Sweeney and the Paul Anderson who didn't direct Defend Horizon <laughs> so like the, the, the third best Paul Anderson basically uh, oh my is, god you're is, going straight to hell for god, that one you really are like membership card <laughs> it's going to be completely revoked now there are people listening to this right now having aneurysms going yeah. what I'm going to get in get in he's the best one he's awesome Paul Thomas Anderson and Daniel Day-Lewis are, are going to reunite on a uh, on an untitled movie it will be set in the world of fashion <laughs> In 1950s New York, so that's that's exciting. So on board with it. Yeah. Um, I I would kind of like to see them do a bit of a comedy. Is that wrong? This pro- I mean I don't know if this will be it, but Paul Thomas Anderson, when we talked to him for this podcast a couple of years ago, a very funny man. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and I would kind of like to see him like play with that a, a bit more in his films. Inherent Vice was pretty funny. Inherent Vice was a very Martin funny. Martin Short yeah. scene was yeah. Just oh, hilarious. That was hilarious. That was funny. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Even but, yeah. like There Will Be Blood. I watched rewatched that recently. It's pretty funny. There's some pretty funny moments in that. Like Daniel Day-Lewis' performance is so absurd that it's almost. Oh, it's amazing. Uh, yeah, incredible. It veers film. into. I drink your milkshake. You know, <laughs> there's nothing that's not great about that. Um, I don't know. I I'm very excited about this film. Obviously, as every anyone who loves good films should be. But I did wonder that. You know, I'd like to see him do another There Will Be Blood. I'd like to see him do another film on that scale. You know, I feel like if it's in 1950s fashion, it's going to be a, maybe a smaller smaller canvas. Maybe, but I mean, I don't think we can take that for granted. He's, no. he's managed to make some pretty big films in some quite small spaces. So, yeah. Fingers crossed. Oh, it'd be exciting. Good. Anytime they make a film is, is exciting. Yeah. So. Speaking of exciting films. Hey. So there's some more news coming. This is very exciting. So it's been mooted for a while now. There's going to be a reboot of the Ocean's Eleven movies, but with uh, ladies. The the Eleven will be made of 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 women. Yeah. Which is you know uh, the Ghostbusters crowd are loving this idea. They're they're fully behind it. Uh, so Sandra Bullock's on board already, and this week Kate Blanchett uh, or Blanchett or Carte Blanche uh, entered into talks to play essentially the Brad Pitt role. So. Uh, Bullock will play and this is amazing it's actually going to be a continuation of the Clooney movie so we might expect some cameos you never know uh, Bullock will play George Clooney's Danny Ocean's ex-con sister uh, with help from her right hand woman I'm reading off the, uh, the synopsis here she'll form a team of thieves to steal a necklace from the Met Ball in order to frame a villainous gallery owner shooting is expected to begin this autumn uh, and the re- unofficial working title is Ocean's Ocho indicating there are eight thief protagonists instead of the traditional 11 um, or 12 or 13 or 12 or 13 um, yeah and uh, this is so this is Gary Ross yes uh, who obviously worked uh, with Jennifer Lawrence and apparently he's after her as a possible addition so it might depend on her schedule but well, that's um, interesting because uh, if you've got the two leads already then would she be the Matt Damon she'd be the Matt Damon I guess unless she was the Vilnius gallery owner 
Unless she was. But that would seem to, you know, have a David O. Russell contempt for her age, uh, if that were the case, so it seems unlikely. If you could see one cameo from any of the Ocean's Eleven team, who would it be? That's not what I'm getting excited about in this film. I'm getting excited about his continuation. I'm getting excited about the fact that it's Kate Blanchett and Sandra Bullock and possibly Jennifer Lawrence. That's exciting. That is also very exciting. But when is it International Men's Ocean Eleven? (laughs) (laughs) So Soderbergh's on board to produce it, along with Clooney. Jerry Weintraub was attached, obviously. He passed away uh, recently. Uh, It's been written by Olivia Milch. This is cool. Just imagine the possibilities of that cast. It could be very, very awesome. Very awesome indeed. Looking forward to Ocean's Ocho. Maybe Danny Ocean's the, the villainous gallery owner they have to steal the painting from or, or whatever. Or Maybe the, Billy Ocean is the gallery. Billy Ocean. <laughs> now that. Now you got me. You got me on board fully. Um, great stuff. Anything else? I have one little quick bit of news. Um, Avengers Infinity War. Yes. It's shaping up. It's happening. It is. It's happening soon. I thought uh, they'd stopped. And it's happening. No, it, they've decided they might as well make one. I know it didn't make much money, the last one. Only just the odd billion or so. It turns out Alan Silvestri will be scoring parts one and two, which is really good news. He obviously scored the first film. Uh, he wasn't around for The Age first film being the first, first Avengers. The first Avengers yeah. film, big pun. Um, he did not score Age of Ultron, um, but he will be back for Infinity War. And this is great. Yeah. Everyone loves Silvestri, right? Who doesn't love Silvestri? There was um, an interesting debate I saw on Twitter recently that Marvel, for all its um, many, many merits, uh, the scores are not necessarily the most memorable part of them. And Silvestri, I think the Avengers score is probably one of the best ones yeah, in the MCU. And it's partly because it's got this recognisable theme. It's got like a theme that you can you can hum from memory. Do, 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 do. Yeah. Yep. It's really good. I think it was um, uh, Scott Weinberg on Twitter was saying how the the Avengers need their own leitmotifs. You know, they need their 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 little themes. So you can say that's Captain America's theme, that's Spider Man's theme. That's yep. you know, yeah. It, it's, it's something that's sort of fallen out of fashion in blockbuster filmmaking these days. But it's- yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've said this in the podcast before. I think I said it fairly recently, actually. That if I could go back. Apologies if I'm repeating myself, but you know, if I could go back and change one thing about the MCU, I would install one composer, mm. like a house composer, mm. and that would be Silvestri or Michael Cicchino or someone just to score all the movies from the off. So you have these late motifs. But we talked to Feige about this in the podcast a couple of years ago when he was in around the time of Guardians of the Galaxy. Helen and I talked to him about this and said, you know, why do the composers change? For the most part, there's very little continuity in score and and themes. And he went. He, he, that's something he he likes. He likes that idea that you know, with a different film, you have a different composer and a different theme. But that's one of the beauties of Star Wars, um, that you have these inbuilt emotional detonators, if yeah. you will, that associated with almost every single character. Um, and as much as I, I actually really like the score for Civil War, I did too um, a lot. Uh, you know, it it still it it still misses maybe that continuity of. Sylvester's original score. Anyway, anyway, talked about the all sorts. We've talked about all sorts of stuff, but there's a couple of very, very quick things to run through. Elizabeth Banks is not directing Pitch Perfect 3. Although she's still producing, will still appear, so that's good. We mm-hmm. don't lose her. Presumably she's going to be in Ocean's Ocho. <laughs> <laughs> that would be an, a great addition to the cast. Uh, uh, Sam Raimi's in talks to direct a tornado heist movie. Why would you steal a tornado? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Okay, that's it for movie news. Uh, Time for this week's guest. It's fair to say we love Salma Hayek here at the Empire Podcast, whether it's because of her collaborations with Robert Rodriguez on the likes of Desperado from Dusk Till Dawn or movies like Frida and Puss in Boots. I put those two together because they're thematically linked. Uh, And there's next week's truly bizarre Tale of Tales in which she plays the Queen of Long Trellis. Uh, We sent the King of Long Trellis, Phil DeSimlian, along to talk to her and the result was explosive or enjoyable one of the two you decide enjoy it's it's a real pleasure and joy to welcome Salma Hayek to the Empire Podcast for the very first time we're really thrilled to have you on I mean there's so many films that, that, that we could talk to you about but just your your uh, current project Tale of Tales um, is an amazing kind of I mean the word people are using to describe it is Baroque it's a kind of a, it's a kind of a um, Grim Brothersy, uh, Arabian Nightsy, you know, even Princess Bride, but a bit darker, perhaps. Is that fair? How would you describe it? You know, yes. Philip, I wanted to tell you this. I feel that when you cannot 
really find another film to accurately compare a film with. Yes. It's a nightmare for the people who are marketing. Yes. Because they don't know how to bring in the audience. But I'm the kind of audience that if, if I see that there is trouble, uh-huh. I go see the film because that means I'm about <laughs> to see something original. Yes. And they're so rare. Okay. So look out for films that are, that, where the marketing department is clearly struggling to yes. explain it. It is. Yes. There's a lot going on. I mean, uh, let's first of all mention the director, Matteo Garone, who, dire- who directed a film called Gamora uh, about, was it four or five years ago, which is a fantastic film about the Neapolitan crime uh, crime organization. organization, organized crime in Italy. Um, so he's back. This is very, very different. I wonder, are there any parallels in those films? Can you see him in both those films? Yes. Uh, it, not, n- not at first sight, mm-hmm. because this one is visually exuberant. Yes. And it's a fantasy. But he treated the fantasy with uh, a lot of reality. He, he goes deep into a world uh-huh. and he makes it his own. And it was, we were not trying to do fantasy. In, in, when I was in my character and talking to some of the other actors, everything was completely real. And he makes you deal with the conflicts mm-hmm. in, in a very realistic way. In my particular case... It was a big, big challenge because, of course, there's three stories. One of them is from my character's point of view. But you don't have as many scenes as you want to, 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 to explain the big conflict that my character has, which is with motherhood. And then there were a lot of lines that explains who she is what she's thinking, what she's feeling, and what's happening. And he decided for this character, from before we started shooting, he told me, I'm going to take away the lines. So I had to be so real. There's no just big gesticulations or indications to bring everything that was there without saying mm. any words but I don't have that many lines in the film no, if no, you don't. think about it there's very few mm. and so it, it was very realistic you're playing a taco just whilst we're on the I subject I am playing in, in Sausage Party a lesbian taco oh a lesbian taco wow I didn't know tacos were sort of I don't know I didn't know they were everything is very sexual everything right. in this movie okay. is extremely sexual it is the naughtiest thing I've ever done and that I will ever do. I've said things that I never thought anybody could hear me say. Oh, go on, say one. I can't, no. Just no, something it's, to, okay. You have to pay for the ticket. Sausage, but this is Seth Rogen's brainchild. It's a comedy. Yes. It's a, an animated movie. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 it's really crazy and highly irreverent. How... How can you describe it's um I hope people are not offended. Yes. Uh because we make fun of everything, every religion, every aspect of human being, but we do it in forms of food. We're all different foods. Okay. And you're a you're a lesbian taco. I'm a taco. Um, An American taco shell because in Mexico we don't eat them like that. There's always soft tortillas. No, it's the flour, right? It's the flour tortillas. No, no, it's than- also corn, but it's soft. Yes. This taco shelf is an American invention. Did not know that. It didn't ex- doesn't I did not exist know in, that. It does not exist in Mexico. Okay, we're gonna learn a lot from this movie. Um and I wondered, I mean, this, this going back to Tale of Tales, there's, uh, it's a big ensemble cast, but because it's got different narrative strands that kind of entwine slightly, Toby Jones and Vincent Cassell. Who is yeah, did you so meet? extraordinary in this movie. He's really good. Did you all get together at any point? Did you no. spend any time in together? in Cannes. That's the first time you met? Yes, because they shot yeah. separately. The You posted a picture on your Instagram. You're a very keen social media person. There's a picture of your Instagram on your Instagram of you. I brought it here. This is rubbish radio. 
lying on the floor in your queen's costume and you say it weighs 30 kilograms every is, dress you, you was like you, you, you're going to need to be winched up because <laughs> you, you don't seem to be able to move I am talking to Mateo yes you can see my hands and but I couldn't I couldn't hold it anymore so at any moment I would just collapse on the floor or anywhere that I found because it was not easy to sit on it either oh really and you know the, the Massimo the costume designer he was so protective of the costumes. He did not care about me at all. They don't care about, you don't do this Hollywood diva, forget it. <laughs> and it's like, he, all he cared about was the dresses, so you couldn't wrinkle it, you couldn't, I mean, there was, he was as demanding as Mateo protecting his clothes. So at the end of the day, it's just, get, give me the dress. Never mind, Selma. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. absolutely. And don't step on it and be <laughs> careful and don't eat with it and... And so I would just co- just go on the floor. He would clean the floor. Yes. Before I collapsed. Right. And here I, I found a little bit of carpet somewhere. And that's it. Until it was time to go again. At the beginning, I was very proud. Mm. As the film went on. And I was so excited to wear these costumes. Because as a Mexican, you know, yeah. I always dreamt of wearing these costumes. But... W- the European classics don't really wrote Mexicans into their stories. No. And I, I was so excited that I had an opportunity to wear them and to be a queen. And after the first week, I was like, oh, my God, I wish I was a peasant. They don't have the course <laughs> as that. Yes. They're not as hot. Their head is not aching with pins. It looks better on paper, I mm. imagine. Can we go right back to the t- so, sort of to the beginning? Is it true that Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the Gene Wilder Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, was the film that inspired you to go into acting? Yes. Um, was it the Oompa Loompas? No, I was already an Oompa Loompa. Do you remember, do you know any of the words to the Oompa Loompa song? Oompa, 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 I brought the lyrics. I've got a I brought... for you. Oh my God, I don't have my glasses. Oh, okay. Um, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's I got it right. <laughs> Oompa Loompa, doompity doo, I've got a perfect puzzle for you. Yeah, See? correct. Yeah, no, I know. I'm sorry it. for doubting you. And, and, and it's been a long time. I didn't, it's not that I, I didn't understand I wanted to be an actress at the beginning. And probably I didn't. Now I, now I understand better. It was the concept, in this moment it clicked on me, of escaping reality. Mm. And going to a place where anything is possible. Yes. So the river can be chocolate. Yes. You can burp, you can eat a gum and, 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 and you know, levitate and then burp yourself back down <laughs> to earth. There are no limitations. Yes. And this is what blew my mind. You can do anything, you can be anyone. So I, this is the moment where I knew I wanted to do films, not just because I like to see them, mm. because I like the, 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 the philosophy of breaking the rules and going places that don't exist and creating them. That's a lovely explanation. I was thinking something like Wild, Wild West, which is, which is obviously um, a movie that has not... It didn't, wasn't well received, should we put it that way? Um, yeah. But it was something that, that was tested and tested. And, and you must have experienced, what was it like being on the other side of that? You know, especially as someone that's got a keen awareness of, of how the Hollywood works. Listen, when I was doing Wild Wild West, I remember, and I was not really a, a producer, my brain is just wired that way. I would look at, at the craft table yeah. where you eat. Yes. It was so huge. And I, was, I asked for the budget, and I did my numbers. And, and I was counting how many art house films I could <laughs> shoot in Mexico yeah. with that budget. And the food, the lunch, yeah. they had lobster, they had steak every day. It was somebody's requirement. Right. Well, contractual requirements. Contractual. Not Will Smith. Huh? No, it wasn't. I think it was the director. Okay. And I was thinking of what you could do in cinema with that money because it was an expensive film. So I'd sit there doing my role where Barry used to say to me, the director, no, 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 no. Faster and dumber. You're sounding smart again. You have to say the lines dumber. That's where the comedy comes from. 
and I would sit in my silly costume and do faster and dumber as I am doing the contability of all the possibilities that could have been while we were shooting, all the other things I could be doing. Yeah. Sometimes, and he's a very good director, but sometimes you learn the most from the bad ones. Yes. And I've gotcha. had a lot of them. Okay, <laughs> right. Um, you had some good ones too. And, and starting out, you met Robert Rodriguez and had a really fruitful sort of partnership with him um, on Desperado and from Dust Till Dawn. Um, people always, I guess, ask you about the snake dancing scene. Is it true that you were petrified of snakes? I have a phobia. You have an actual phobia of snakes. I mean, I have a, think I have a phobia of snakes too, but I've never had to actually dance with one wrapped around me. How did you... How did you, how did you it's a true story. Yeah. I really needed the money. Right. There okay. was... Um, I, I, I don't think I've ever said that, this, but I will say it not with specifics. There was a medical emergency in my family. And I, and they actually did pay me for 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 me at the time, I really needed that money. And I taught myself how to go on trance. Wow. And so I danced on trance. And I did a lot of research also that helped me get to that. In one of the many things that I found, in so, in, in, there is a culture where the snake represents, and actually in, in a couple, your inner power. So I really thought, I really went, I was not just dancing like a stripper. Yeah, no. I really was a creature that was dancing with her inner power. And for that, I had to be so powerful that I had to overcome my greatest fear. It was a really interesting thing. I'm very grateful to myself that I did it because it took so much discipline and mental discipline and courage. Mm. And I had to develop that relationship with it. And I had to improvise. The whole dance is improvised. Yes. Because you don't know what the snake is going to do. So you have to be one with the snake. Um, I have to wrap up, let you go very soon. Um, before I do, I wanted to I ask don't you, want you to go. I'm having a good time you, with Well, you. we can carry on, but I think you may have other obligations. Yes, I do. We can, we can, we can cancel them, but I'm not sure that's within my purview. Um, I have to ask you about playing, uh, playing opposite um, Alec Baldwin in 30 Rock. Um, do you know I just did a film with him? I did not know that. Did you? <sighs> not as, not, it's not, tell me it's, Tell me it's a spin-off of El Generalissimo. I, it was behind the scenes, and I'm shocked he remembers a lot of his lines. El, El Generalissimo. My God, I, lo- I could work. I could, I could do every film with him. We work so well together. We're very good improvising together. A lot of the stuff in there was improvised. And finally, we got to do a movie together. He was trying to convince me to do a series with him, a comedy, right? the two of us, after this movie. If I didn't love living in London so much, I probably would because I really enjoy working with him. Yes. You know that, that role in 30 Rock, it was one episode that ended up being seven. If you include the ending. It should have been more. But I was living <laughs> in Europe. They wanted more, but I, I said, I, I can't. Yes. El Gen- I've been pronouncing it wrong. El Generalissimo. I'm not going to try that. I love um, him. Just lastly, on that note. You, oh, by the way, the, the new movie that's coming out is a comedy. We just finished it, so I don't know when it's coming out. Called Drunk Parents. Okay. So I think it's going to do really well in England. Drunk Parents sounds about right. Um, you came up doing soap operas in Mexico. Did people? What did people think of the soap opera in Thirty Rock back home? Oh my gosh! I don't know. Nobody. I, nobody's, nobody's talked about it back home, but I know it was inspired. It was not planned. As I started being in it, because I was hanging out with the writers and talking about them, that's how they came up with this idea. Uh, but I don't know what they. Th- I'm. I'm sure they. I'm sure they. They love it. <laughs> it's very realistic <laughs> for them. It's not. They, they didn't think it was a comedy. Well, <laughs> look out for look out for uh, for drunk parents, um, and before then, tell of tales. Um, summer hikes, yes. a real pleasure. I Thank really highly recommend this film. I am so honored mm. that I am part of it. Lovely, go see. Thanks Thank very you. much for joining us. 
Sama Hagler will be talking about her film Tale of Tales next week on the Empire Podcast along with The Country too. but this week right now we're going to talk about this week's releases and we're going to start with this is a very sad occasion the final the final Studio Ghibli movie when Marnie was there that's it doors are closed well hopefully not I mean this is it's certainly hi- hiatus Miyazaki's retired there are no plans for any new films I think they might be co-producing the odd one here and there but yeah this is basically it when Marnie was there for now the last Studio Ghibli film and it's very sad but it it is very good uh, I would say it's adapted from a book by Joan G. Robinson it's a, an English novel uh, sort of I, I guess maybe maybe you could call it young adult it's maybe more sort of a children's uh, preteen mm-hmm. novel mm-hmm. it's originally set in Norfolk and they've transposed the action to um, Sapporo which is on the Japanese island of Hokkaido. And it's all about this girl called Anna, a 12-year-old girl who's uh, very shy, very lonely. She's an orphan. She lives with foster parents. She suffers from uh, asthma attacks. Um, and so she's sent by her foster uh, parents to live with her aunts in a rural community, in a coastal community, just to sort of get better and to um, come out of her shell a little bit. And while she's there, she meets a very strange girl named Marnie in, in this sort of um, mysterious beachside mansion. She's got, she just seems like a girl out of time. She's got very beautiful golden locks. Um, and there's something not quite right about her, but they, they become very good friends. Um, to give any more of the story away, perhaps would be to give the game away. But it is a very emotional story. It's a, a story of sort of about friendship and family. It's it's an interesting one. It's there There is a light fantasy element to it, I suppose, but it's not... I wouldn't say it's like vintage Ghibli in the mm. same sense as, uh, say, Spirited Away or Howl's Moving, Moving Castle. There's no, certainly nothing on, on the scale of those films. There's no witches, there's no spirits or fairies or anything like that. Um, it's, it's, it's a very straightforward sort of teen melodrama, I guess you could say. Mm. Um, there are classic Ghibli staples to it. There's, there's a, it's besotted with nature. Um, there's a lot of uh, there's there's certain nods to sort of early 20th century jazz age style Um, there's there's the same sort of sense of nostalgia I would say perhaps it is in in Ghibli terms they've set themselves such a high bar that maybe it doesn't quite reach those heights but it is certainly beautiful there's no doubt about that it's uh, as with all of their films it is stunningly animated entirely traditional 2D cell animation you know I, I had a bit of an epiphany when I saw uh, The Wind Rises on the big screen and I mm-hmm. realised I hadn't seen a Ghibli film on the big screen before that and it's the, just like the scales fell from my eyes I mean you, you've got to see it on a big screen because the level of detail and craft and it's unbelievable um, it's like a living painting these films so it is worth seeing if only for the world class animation I mean I don't want to stereotype by by gender or, or age um, but I will <laughs> um, it, it's it, I think it's mainly aimed towards sort of young girls I'd say maybe girls sort of between the age of like 9 and 13, 14 it's a good sort of mother-daughter film I would say mm. in the sim- similar sense as Brave but there is there is lots for other people as well as uh, uh, three stars three stars yes it, it is not the best Ghibli film but it is certainly a recommendation and mm. um, as I say like any Ghibli film it's worth seeing on a big screen just to appreciate that mm. that level of detail and that animation quality yeah absolutely three stars for that one and we actually interviewed recently the director of the film uh, Hiramasa Yonabayashi and um, he basically said that, that he does feel that's it that, that Ghibli is, is done this is not a Hayao Miyazaki film this is I think he's involved with it he maybe produced it but yeah it did yeah What's good? Um, what's well, not what's good, but it's sort of uh, positive that's come of this. This sort of the end of Ghibli is that all of their films being re-released this year um, in cinemas. So I think I think My Neighbor Totoro is in in cinemas at the moment, um, and basically that's such a good opportunity to to see them, as I say, on the big screen as they should be seen. Um, so you know, as well as seeing when Marnie was there, see all of their other films. Yeah. Probably they are the masters. Okay, next up it's the return of Michael Moore with another hard-hitting documentary called Where to Invade Next. What's this one about? Hell's Bells. Yeah, it's more of a, a 
a polemic as ever with him than a strict documentary. But basically, the idea is it's a, the, the title is slightly misleading. Um, it's basically him traveling around Europe and sort of picking up ideas. The idea is that you know they invaded in his mind uh, Iraq to protect the oil, to take the oil. So what? Where should they invade to take ideas to make the U.S. better? So that's kind of his his idea. Uh, and it's basically a lot of traveling around, particularly the Nordic countries, but Europe in general, not the. UK because there's nothing worth stealing here um, but to, to get sort of you know uh, policies or, or attitudes that would make the world a better place uh, for example uh, paid leave in Italy uh, workers have the right to something like eight weeks uh, in Finland the, the education system in Finland uh, the uh, you know gender equality in Iceland uh, the criminal justice system in Norway this kind of stuff so it's it's basically him kind of going around and and seeing who does it best I mean he did something a little bit similar with Sicko if you remember there he was going around the health system here in the UK at that point uh, and in Cuba as well and comparing it to the very very broken system in the US um and uh, and this is basically a kind of continuation of that kind of I think oh, I think the idea is really more to open American eyes than than British eyes to to kind of what mm. countries do certain policies better. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you like Michael Moore, then you'll probably enjoy this. If you don't, if you hate him, then you're you're obviously going to hate it. But um, our Daniel and gave it four stars, which I think is yeah, about right. Four English stars. Yeah, I might be a little bit more harsh on it, but not not by much. Okay. There you go. Uh, right. The Boss. The Boss. boss is next. Uh, yeah, um, this is Melissa McCarthy uh, playing Michelle Darnell, who is the 47th richest woman in the world, we're told, uh, before she is sent to jail for insider trading. Any relationship or resemblance to Martha Stewart is, of course, entirely <laughs> incidental. Martha who? Martha Exactly. What? And so her welcome back to the world, because she's always been just a nasty person, her welcome back is not very welcome. And the idea is that she's kind of left with nothing, having to start over again which I'm sorry if you've ever seen a rich person go to jail that's not what happens they all end up and they come out and they still have all their money it's anyway whatever but she basically has to lean on her former uh, very put upon assistant who's played by Kristen Bell uh, for support and she ends up getting involved in Kristen Bell's daughter's scout troop and selling Girl Scout cookies um so that's kind of the ridiculous setup. Uh, there, uh, there are some good kind of supporting roles here. You've got P- Peter Dinklage uh, plays her former boyfriend turned business rival uh, called Renault. Uh, she's got you know a sort of a, a West Side Story style face-off with another Girl Scout troop, um, which turns extraordinarily vicious and violent. Um, and it's all you know. It's all okay, but this is another film that she's done with with her husband Ben Falcone, and like Tammy, I think it's it's just a little bit uncontrolled, maybe. And I think that she's best when there's a little bit more nuance and a little bit more kind of control over the script. And I think that she and Falcone, who obviously love working together and everything, but they, I don't think they do their best work together. I just I just don't. I think they're best it's, with with other voices coming it's in. Harsh. It is but harsh. Fair isn't it? criticism. Yeah. I think. And also she looks absolutely nothing like Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> they really should have rethought that title. The worst biopic I've ever seen. <laughs> so uh, I, I don't know. I prefer her. I, I just think she's funny when there's a bit more nuance. Something like Spy, where she wasn't just... She did do the file mouth stuff and all that kind of stuff, but she wasn't. that wasn't just the character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas here, there, there isn't that nuance. Yeah. And that, that <clears throat> layering, and I think it's just more interesting when when there is. So anyway, we give it we give it two stars. There are funny moments here. There are bits that will make you laugh, but it's just it's not her at her best. Yeah, just as you know, there are lesser Will Ferrell comedies. I think yeah. there's lesser Melissa McCarthy comedies. Exactly. And this is one of them. But you know, yeah, you know, still has his moments. Two stars in for the boss. Uh, it's not a recommendation. Um, and complete full disclosure: none of us have seen Embrace the Serpent, which is by sheer star rating alone. Uh, I guess film of the week although Word and Fate Next also had four stars four stars for Embrace of the Serpent but our Phil DeSimlin our art house guru absolutely loves this film so if your tastes align with his then we're recommending it but the three of us here were idiots um, <laughs> and then we haven't seen it um, it is true I was too busy watching Civil War for the 18th time so weren't we all Chris weren't yeah. we all and basically I was just staring transfixed at that picture of J.K. Simmons <laughs> <laughs> That's essentially what I've been doing all week. 
And then I remembered I had to do a podcast. And I was like, oh, I need something to talk about. And then J.K. Simmons emerged from the picture. It was like the Purple Rose of Cairo. And he just emerged and went, Wow. Put his hand. Like Sadako. Yeah, he put his hand on my shoulder and broke it. No, not like Sadako. He doesn't have enough hair. Yeah. Well, I what? don't know. He's got quite a big beard. Okay, that's all the movies fit to talk about this week, uh, which means that's it for this week's Emperor Podcast. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun, where we'll be joined by Patrick Wilson and James Wan, star Ooh. and director of the very good Conjuring 2, respectively. Yeah, me, scared me. Ooh, Ooh. spooky. Ah, loud noises. Um, and on that spooky bombshell, uh, it's goodbye from John. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Helen. Toodaloo. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to... Actually, I'll tell you what I'm off to. Where are you off to? I'm off to France. Are you? Yeah, I'm off to France. I'm off to France. I won't be on the podcast next week. Uh, you're, you're, you're hosting the podcast next week. Why? I'm off to France to watch a Michael O'Neill's Green and White Army take on Ukraine. Très bien. Euro 2016. Amusez-vous bien. where I'm off. I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you're going to have a great time in France and get along really well with everyone there. We. Oui. Oh, très bien. See you next... Semen. Semen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I won't. No, See you, you won't. in a fortnight. Oh, no. See you in a fortnight. Uh, which is... Dolzen Kenziem. I think, isn't it? Whatever Helen said, imagine it in my voice. See you next time. Bye.